It is a new week in the sports world. Lots of stuff happened over the weekend, but we all have our winners and losers and stuff like that for each, each, basically each, uh, each league that we all are all partake in. We all have winners and losers. Uh, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a worse loser this week than one particular group. Okay. Uh, not necessarily a team of any kind of any of the teams that we can think of off the top of your head. It's none of those, none of the organizational teams, anything like that. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a, uh, a worse week in for this group of people. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody else that had a worse week. And that is just the general group, just generally the referees of, any, uh, of all the sports that were playing this weekend, particularly uh, basketball and football, uh, football. They had it pretty rough. Uh, I wouldn't say I'd say maybe they got it a little too uh, a little too harshly than I think uh, maybe the NBA did. NBA definitely. Uh, well, we'll talk about it a little bit more specifically. Um, but uh, the NFL maybe got it a little bit too harshly. They got the correct call at the end of that Bengals and Chiefs games. They had uh, basically two extra downs uh, for the Chiefs, but it ended up not really costing anything because they ended up pot- punting anyways. Uh, the only thing it really cost was field position, but again, it didn't matter in the end because the Chiefs ended up punting anyways. We'd be having a very big different conversation, a very different conversation if the Chiefs went down and scored after they got essentially an extra down or two free downs, essentially. But I will not have, I will not have the argument that they made the wrong call on Joseph Asai at the end of that game. That was the correct call, uh, a roughing the, not a rough, I guess it's unnecessary roughness uh, against Joseph Asai on the, the defensive end uh, for, or I guess he's a linebacker, technically an, an, end, an edge rusher, if you will, uh, against the linebacker for the Bengals uh, that he pushed Patrick Mahomes after he was two steps out of bounds. Essentially, that's going to that's gonna get called nine times out of ten. OK, that was a bad play by Joseph Asai. We all saw that. Uh, it was it was sad. It was sad to see Joseph Asai just bawling on the sideline. He cost the team at the very least a better shot at pushing it into overtime uh, in, in instead. 15-yard penalty puts the Chiefs in perfect field goal field goal range for Harrison Butker. Harrison Butker puts it through, game over, and costs the the Bengals at least a chance to go to the to the Super Bowl in two weeks. But referees made the right call. It was gut wrenching to see it uh, at the end of that game, but they made the correct call. That was a hundred percent a late hit out of bounds. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a brutal hit or anything like that. And honestly, Joseph Sai probably got the worst. Of that hit, he fell over, and it looks like he busted up his knee on that play. Uh, it looked like he like dislocated his knee on that play, but uh, uh, still a unnecessary roughness call. You're going to get that called nine times out of ten. Just not a good play by Joseph Sai. He knows that everybody knows that on that team, and he knows that especially. We saw him afterwards just just crying helplessly uh, on the sideline. And CBS, by the way, CBS, come on, man, come on, please, CBS. You don't need to be showing. They showed Joseph Sai crying on the sideline more than they showed. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey celebrating after they won the game. And that was brutal. I could not believe they kept the camera panned on him as he was just bawling on the side. And that was so hard to watch, man. That was like, Ooh, I, that, that took me. So I was like, I, I don't want to bash this dude because I feel really bad. It gets a lot more. It gets a lot more personal uh, when you want to bash somebody, but then they're like really hardcore crying in front of you. That, that's, that makes it a lot harder to do. And then he goes into the locker locker room. He's still teared up. He still looks like he's been crying forever. And, uh, you know, he had reporters asking questions. He had BJ Hall, which was standing, who was standing right next to him, trying to like level out, you know, keep him calm in that situation, which shout out to BJ Hall. What a teammate that guy is, man. That guy is from there on out. If I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm just sorry, 
that's my best friend from then on out. That that is a great teammate, BJ Hall, just to stand there and comfort him while he's having to take questions during uh, the the media time in the locker room. That that is a that is a true friend right there in BJ Hall. So shout out to BJ Hall. That takes a lot of uh, that takes a lot of gall and leadership to go in there and just be just be there next to your guy as he has to field these questions, these questions that he he has no interest in answering, and uh, he is hurting down to the very core of himself uh, to have to answer. I can't even imagine being in that situation. So. Um, the NFL refs, they had a less than seller day. I would say, I don't think they got it nearly as bad as the NBA refs. And we're talking about one game in particular. I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, and then, uh, in the San Francisco and the Philadelphia game, they had a couple bad, bad calls here and there, or I guess, I guess they were a little bit more free firing with the, uh, with the flags. If it, I guess is what I would say in that, in that Eagles and 49ers game, but then again, it didn't really matter. After Brock Purdy went down in the first series of the game with a torn UCL, I, that game was pretty much the game was pretty much washed. And then Josh Johnson goes down and he has a concussion. And after that, it was it was over. I, there was no way that the 49ers were going to be able to come back for it. Brock Purdy comes back in with a torn UCL, mind you. Those are, that's the injury that happens to baseball players that have to get Tommy John and they're out for essentially a, a year. And Brock Purdy comes back out. He can't throw the ball very far, but hey. He's gutting it out. He's trying to at least get them to the finish line without being blown all the way out. And, you know, it didn't really matter. They lose 31-7. to But uh, for him to go back out there and not have to have, like, Chris McCaffrey or Kyle Juszczyk be the quarterback, the emergency quarterback for the Niners, uh, to at least give them, you know, some semblance of a chance against the Eagles, that was that was pretty gutsy as well. So, I, you know, but after he went down and Joe Johnson then went down after him with a concussion, that game was that game was over that game was over the 49ers tied it at seven uh early in the game as well with Christian McCaffrey this was after Brock Purdy went down and they still uh, that game still was somewhat in reach for the uh for the uh, 49ers I would say but after after Joe Johnson went down it was it was it was a wrap it was completely over I did want to see though I will say this I did want to see some more um Christian McCaffrey like triple option stuff. If he would have came in, played emergency quarterback or something like that, Kyle Juszczyk, emergency quarterback, throw in a couple, I mean, they probably don't practice a triple option scheme of any sort, but throw in a little triple option in there, maybe mix it up a little bit. That would have been cool. Cause see him, go him, see Chris McCaffrey go in there and take the snaps and then uh, do a little, you know, Georgia tech style triple option that we saw for the last game or the rest of the game, or like a, a an army Navy triple option game that we saw. That would have been, I mean, it wouldn't have helped them because they, they would have, basically been their own worst enemy at that point, running out the entire clock. But like one series for one series, let's just see them run the triple option and see what happens. And I bet that would have been, I, you know, triple options hard to defend against, especially in the NFL, because you never see it. So I'd imagine that's probably not an easy thing to have to defend against. Uh, you'd probably get it, you know, pretty well figured out after a week or two. If you're a defense, if you had a time to game plan against it, but if you have no time to game plan against something like that, I can't imagine that is easy to defend against even in the NFL. Um, we did see Christian McCaffrey have the ball, the uh, the quarterbacking responsibilities for I think it was one play essentially where he took the ball and it was like a it was like a weird play. And, well, no, it was like a trick play essentially that they ran with Debo, Debo Samuel and uh, they passed it back to Chris McCaffrey who was looking for an open receiver downfield and he threw it and there was nobody. I mean, there was nobody in the vicinity of the ball that he threw. And then after that, they were like, you know, let's just we'll keep we'll throw Brock Purdy back out there. Let's just. 
It doesn't matter at this point. Brock Purdy, go ahead. Uh, Brock Purdy only ended up throwing four balls throughout the entire game. He came to throw it past the line of scrimmage, uh, but he went back out there. He was basically handing the ball off to Christian McCaffrey for the rest of the game or Debo Samuel, and uh, that was essentially the rest of the game for the 49ers. And it was very unfortunate because we got a very good 49ers team. I would have loved to have seen the rest of this game play out because I do think Brock Purdy, you know, he's not... I'm not going to say, you know, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league or anything like that, but I think he suits this team as well as anybody else does uh, that they have. They have Trey Lance still on the books. Uh, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo comes up. His, his his time is done after the end of this season. I can't imagine a situation where they bring back Jimmy Garoppolo. You basically have a cheaper version, and I would argue probably a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy, but essentially a much cheaper version of Jimmy Garoppolo. So there's no situation in my mind where they bring back Jimmy G at all. I think he's gone. I don't think they resign him whatsoever, anything like that. If they're going to do anything. If the 49ers are going to do anything uh, crazy or anything like, you know, in the eyes of a lot of people that would seem crazy, I think at the very least, they're going to probably, uh, they're going to run Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, once Brock Purdy recovers from that torn UCL, which they gave him six months, which makes sense, I guess, because it's a little bit different than, uh, you know, a UCL in baseball where, you know, you're basically it's it's harder to throw with a torn UCL in baseball. It's harder to recover from Tommy John surgery when Tommy John surgery when you're trying to huck a ball, you know, 95 miles an hour or what have you uh, versus a football where it's not nearly going as fast. You don't have as much torque on the arm. So maybe it's probably going to it's going to be less of a recovery time, I would imagine. And they said six months on the press release, um, but we'll see how much if it's longer than that. Uh, that should be I think that's. Going to give him enough time to be ready for trying to do the math in my head. It's just had surgery six months from now, let's say August. So towards the end of training camp, towards the beginning of training camp, something like that. We'll see. Um, but if Brock Purdy does come back during next season, I would imagine they're going to give Trey Lance the opportunity to win his spot back. They're paying Trey Lance $9.3 million on a year. They're not just going to let Trey Lance sit on the bench if he's making $9.3 million a year. This was the guy that Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers, traded up for, that they wanted to have as their quarterback. They traded up for him. They got rid of a bunch of assets in order to go and get him for the guy that Kyle Shanahan wanted to build the offense around. He didn't have a stellar start to his career as that starting quarterback. He's only started four games going back to 2021. He started... His first start came on October 10th in 2021 when they were taking on Arizona. He did not play very well in that game. He went 15 for 29. He had an interception, 192 yards of 58.4 QBR. Um, he came in during October the October 3rd game, so the week before, Jimmy G got hurt against Seattle, and he came in, went 9 for 18, 157 yards with two touchdowns. So he started the week after. And then, really, he, he, start, he started four games in his entire career. And the other, the only good start that I can see basically box scoring it. Uh, the only the only good start that he had was back in week 17 uh, against Houston back in 2022, when he went 16 for 23, 249 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, uh, and had a 116 quarterback rating. So a pretty good quarterback rating from that game. But then after that, I mean, this year he had the game in Chicago. It was basically a monsoon. Uh, you really could not take anything from that game because there was no way he was actually going to effectively pass the ball in that game. And they really did not affect no, neither team effectively passed the ball in that game. He went 13 for 28, 164 yards in, a in an interception with a uh, 50.3 quarterback rating at sack twice. And he also had 13 in rush attempts for 54 yards um, in that game. And then the next game after that in week two is the one he got injured and he only 
completed three or two of his three pass attempts, and then he was injured for the rest of the year. So I would imagine the 49ers at this point, uh, he's uh, Brock Purdy's still injured. So, you know, uh, up until August, you would imagine, if not longer, because who knows with when it comes to, you know, a Tommy John surgery in the NFL, how that'll affect his uh, his throwing motion, how he's throwing the ball uh, during training camp and that sort of thing. And I, I would imagine they give Trey Lance a go at the very least for the first like four games of the season. See how he's playing. If he's playing good enough, you sit Brock Purdy again, put him on the bench. If Trey Lance is leading your team to a three and one, over, uh, you know, three and one record or something like that. Uh, then you go on with Trey Lance, obviously. If he's playing well, then you keep going with Trey Lance. Brock Purdy is one of the best deals in the NFL. I mean, he's only make he's going to be making eight hundred, almost nine hundred thousand dollars next year uh, in uh, with the with the Forty ers whereas Trey Lance is making nine point three million dollars. You have uh, you have room to wait for Brock Purdy. He doesn't become a free agent until twenty twenty six. So if you want to wait, test out Trey Lance, see where he's at, see what he could be. Then why not try him for this next season? You have him until twenty twenty four as well, whether he's making ten point eight million dollars a year. Wait till you see where you at, what you have in Trey Lance. And then if that doesn't work out, you have the best deal in football sitting on your bench in Brock Purdy, who will make essentially the most he'll make is $1.1 million in 2025. And in 2023, he's making $900,000. It's the best deal in football for really for any other for out, out of every position. Essentially, Brock Purdy show being able to show what he has done with the 49ers uh, is really one of the one of the steals in football right now. If he can continue to play at the rate that he has played uh, before he got hurt. Uh, I would say Philadelphia was the first real big road test that he's had to had to go up against so far. And he couldn't do it. I mean, it didn't matter because he got hurt in the first series. We weren't able to see anything anyway. So honestly, you know, you really haven't learned much out of Brock Purdy anyways, after that, uh, after that, after that game in Philadelphia. So we'll have to see what they do. I, there's a lot of rumors going around with um, the 49ers in the, the, that they want to make a move on Tom Brady, uh, which I understand. I mean, of course, he's the greatest of all time. I'm not going to doubt that whatsoever, obviously. But again, I would say, why? You know, you could get him, maybe get him for a year deal. But if you're Tom Brady, I don't know how. If you're if you're getting him, getting a year deal with the 49ers or a two year deal with the Raiders or something, then you'd most likely want to go to the Raiders just because you're getting the more money out of that, obviously. Um, in the, the longer tenure out of that, uh, the, the best thing you could get out of Tom Brady, obviously he immediately makes you a Super Bowl contender. If I mean, they're already a Super Bowl contender, but immediately makes you take that step up. But it gives you a chance for it gives a chance for Trey Lance and Brock Purdy to learn under Tom Brady, which is obviously important. That'll be a great teacher, a great mentor for both of those guys. And if Brock Purdy's as good as advertised as we saw the first nine weeks, then there'd be no other mentor to have than Tom Brady, obviously. But then again, uh, you have the most talented team in football. I I mean, top to bottom, other than maybe the Eagles, uh, you're easily top two. I would say just in terms of roster construction, top to bottom. And heading into 2023 free agency, uh, they have they're going to have about 13 million, almost 13 and a half million dollars in cap space. They're going to have a couple guys leaving. Josh Johnson, like I said, Josh Johnson, Jimmy Garoppolo are both under uh, unrestricted free agents. We'll see which one of those that they resign. There is no situation in my mind that I could see them resigning Jimmy G. So I'd imagine they get Josh Johnson back or another another uh, third string quarterback you can get off of the free agency market as well. Which you know that isn't the most difficult thing to find in the free agency market. There are plenty of uh, plenty of uh, plenty of quarterbacks that are available for that for that price. 
Now, if you are the 49ers, like I said, the depth of your team is your absolute strong suit. The fact that you can go, uh, your wide receiver depth isn't the greatest. We got Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk is, he had a fantastic year and he's coming up on his last year of contract of 2023 is his last year uh, under contract. And then he, they have a club option for him in 2024. And then he's unrestricted free agents, uh, unrestricted free agent in 2025, where signing Tom Brady in this situation will create problems is the fact that they have guys on that tremendous offensive line that will be unrestricted free agents by the end of the season. But as the season ends, they they're going to lose tackle Mike McGlinchey, 100, uh, 1,210 snaps that he had for them, a 70.3 PFF grade, 26 pressures allowed and six sacks. And then they have Jake Brendel, their center, who was a pretty solid pass protecting uh, center. He's not a great run blocker, but he is a pretty decent uh, pass protector. He had 1,252 offensive snaps, the most out of everybody on that offensive line this season. Uh, he only gave up one sack and 10 hurries, 14 total pressures this season, according to PFF. He had a 71.8 pass blocking rate, according to PFF as well. So they're losing uh, in this situation uh, on, in undrafted free agents. You can probably find better guys, uh, maybe not center, uh, but possibly tackle. Tackle is always a premium position. He, you know, and talk, tackle is also a very, inex, a very expensive position to have to find people in free agency. Uh, but you could probably find somebody better, uh, a better tackle. Uh, but center is hard to find. So you, I would imagine they try to re-sign him. Um, and then uh, Jake Brendel, and then tackle Mike McGlinchey. I would imagine they try to re-sign him as well. Just try to keep the whole band back together. And the problem that becomes is if they sign Tom Brady, Tom Brady is going to be expensive. Why do that? If you have Brock Purdy, who is one of the best deals in football, there's no need to just rebuild the offense that you had as well as on the defense as well. On the defensive line, they're losing two guys that gave them over 600 snaps on the defensive line. Samson Abukam, he had 681 total snaps played, a 63.7 uh, PFF defensive grade, 50 pressures, six sacks total, and 35 hurries. He's a Pretty decent pass rusher, I would say. He's not great in run defense, uh, but he's a decent pass rusher. They're going to miss him if he ends up leaving in an un unrestricted free agency. They're also losing defensive end Charles Omenahu, who was, again, another decent pass rusher for this team. He had 659 total snaps for the defensive line of the 49ers. He had a 75.6 pass rush grade from PFF as well. He had seven sacks, 12 hits, and 43 quarterback hurries as well on 62 pressures. So two guys that are pretty important on the defensive line. At the very least, they have they give that defensive line, that very, very good defensive line. Uh, they've, at the very least, they give that defensive line depth, which is you know all important. We're seeing the Eagles, who are one of the most depth-filled defensive lines that we've seen in recent memory. We have Ndamukong Sue on the Eagles, who were, he was coming out in the second team as a defensive tackle for that team. And there he's coming out and playing very well as the second team man on that defensive line. So if you're wanting to bring back guys like that as well, they have linebacker issues. Aziz Al-Shahir is gone. He's going to be a rush. D. He's a he's under unrestricted free agency. So not necessarily gone, but he's an unrestricted free agent. If he wants to go elsewhere, he obviously can go elsewhere. He's important. He's a good rush defense, rush defensive specialist for that uh, for that team. He's a very good. They bring him in for run situations, obviously uh, defensive run situations, and he's very good at stopping the run. Had a great game against the uh, the Cowboys in that divisional round matchup. So that's somebody that they have to look at trying to bring back. And their secondary, they're also losing a couple of guys. Most notably, Tayshawn Gibson and Jimmy Ward, two safeties. Tayshawn Gibson, one of the starters. He played 1,221 snaps. 
He had a rush defense a rush defense grade of 89.9, one of the best rush defenders in terms of that position of anybody in the league. And then uh, Jimmy Ward as well. He played 640 snaps. So about he basically was the second team safety for uh, for the uh, for the 49ers. And he also had a very good rush defensive grade, 91.4. And he had a very good defensive grade overall from PFF, 80.6. Um, both of these guys, very good rush defense. So two of the best run defenders at that position to, you know, one of the reasons they're able to not necessarily load the boxes often. They can play, you know, a little bit more spread out. And these guys have the instincts. Both of those guys, Tayshawn Gibson and Jimmy Ward have the instincts to be able to attack in those scenarios. And uh, they're both very good. And Tayshawn Gibson, again, the, he played the most out of every, everybody in that secondary this year. So that would be a big loss if they do end up losing him. He's not a great, not the best coverage safety in the world, but again, I mean, they're great at stopping the run. Uh, even though it didn't necessarily show it against the Eagles, obviously, but you know that's a hard situation to be in. Uh, but uh, on the back end, they're at least very solid at stopping the run, or at least uh, uh, being able to stop the the run without having to load the box every single every single down and distance. If that makes sense. They're also losing uh, Jason Verrett, which is a big loss. He didn't play at all this year, but uh, he was a big. Big, uh, big reason they were solid in the back end last year. Uh, so that would be a big loss for them. We'll see after that. If he comes back at all, if he still has that same ability that he uh, that he displayed the year before. So 49ers, uh, they're being rumored to go and get Tom Brady. It makes sense. It's Tom Brady. But you're also going to be probably missing out on all these guys that I just mentioned because you're going to be hitting your cap space. Uh, your cap threshold in that moment. They only have thirteen million, uh, thirteen million dollars in free cap uh, in free cap space. So, I mean, most of that would probably end up going to Tom Brady uh, unless they're able to work out some sort of uh, good cap situation. I mean, on on the offense, other than the offensive line, those are really the only spots that they're missing on the offensive line. Uh, they're still bringing back George Kittle, Chris McCaffrey still going to be there, Debo Samuel, Brandon Uyuk's still going to be there, obviously, and then. Trey Lance and Brock Purdy and on the defensive line, all the important guys, uh, not necessarily important, I guess big guys are still going to be there as well. Bosa is still going to be there. Eric Armstead is still going to be there. Javon Kinlaw is still there as well. And then Fred Warner, arguably the best uh, linebacker in the game right now, uh, is still going to be there as well all the way through 2024 at the very least. And then Drake Greenlaw is still there as well. So the major pieces are still there for the 49ers, but I would say their strength is the fact that they are one of the deepest teams in the NFL today, as we as we speak right now, they got derailed by injuries in the worst possible time, obviously. And I think that if they're able to continue to keep, uh, they have the best deal in football at the quarterback position in in Brock Purdy. Uh, I would argue that there's no better time than right now to figure out a trade suitor for Trey Lance because you don't necessarily know what you have in Trey Lance. Uh, if it comes out and Trey Lance starts those first four, five, six games or whatever, and he's just dreadful. That nine to ten million dollar contract is not going to look nearly as good to any of the other shooters in the NFL, unless you're, you know, a team uh, that maybe feels like they can fix him better than the 49ers can. But just you know, it, with Brock Purdy making nine hundred thousand dollars a year, I don't know why, given what we've seen from him in the past eight weeks, past nine weeks, uh, why you wouldn't want to ride that out at the very least. I understand giving Trey Lance a chance, but that could very much backfire in that situation uh, because you couldn't end up you know, basically destroying any sort of trade asset that you have in Trey Lance with a, uh, with him coming out there. But then again, on the opposite side, he could come out, be fantastic, be the athletic quarterback that we know him to be able to be and completely transform 
that Kyle Shanahan offense into something that's really, truly unstoppable. And then you have a very solid backup in Brock Purdy, again, who's only making uh, at the most $1.1 million a year by 2025. And then he leaves, becomes a free agent, and could be, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo 2.0, if you will, in terms of being able to bring in that high amount of money without necessarily, you know, playing all that much uh, as the backup quarterback, that sort of thing. So we'll see what the 49ers do. To me, the best option for them is to just keep building the depth, try to re-sign as many of those offensive linemen as you can and the defensive line. Just give yourself as much depth as possible on both sides of the ball. And I, I, in my in my uh, humble opinion, I would say the best thing that the 49ers can be is the Eagles. That That is essentially what you're shooting for at this point, and the Eagles are on their way to a Super Bowl with one of the most stacked lineups that we've seen uh, in recent memory, especially in the front seven on, uh, on both sides of the ball, on offensive line and on defensive line. One of the most stacked sides. Uh, one of the most stacked front sevens on the defensive side, and then one of the most stacked offensive lines. If you're the 49ers, just shoot for that. Shoot! For, you don't need to sign Tom Brady. You can win. You can win with Brock Purdy, in my opinion. They did it eight out of the nine games that he started. Uh, I think it went, went seven and one or something ridiculous like that. You're bringing back all your weapons, all the most important weapons. You can do it. Uh, an injury derailed you. I mean, I think he's more effective than Jimmy Garoppolo, which is, you know, in, I won't say not saying much, but it's at the very least a step up, obviously. And I think he's shown more than, you know, Trey Lance hasn't been able to show a whole lot, but I think he has proven himself to be able to uh, to take that next step, if you will, uh, in this upcoming season. So we'll see what he does. We'll see what the 49ers do. I hope it's not I hope it's not Tom Brady, I, even though, you know, it would make a lot of sense. I'm mainly saying that because I put a futures bet on him and a prediction on him going to Las Vegas. So please go to Las Vegas, Tom. If you're listening, you're not listening, but please go to Las Vegas. I'm begging you, go to Las Vegas. Uh, a couple of the things here that I want to look at just because I thought this was funny. Uh, I was looking at, obviously, the payroll numbers for the 49ers this upcoming year, and there's a lot of good, interesting dead cap numbers that you have to look at for a lot of this in terms of how much cap space you're going to have coming up this next season. And uh, one of the funny things I like to look at is who they're paying or who, which particular team is paying the least in dead cap. And we have two names here that are getting paid the least by the 49ers in dead cap money. And uh, Kevin Atkins, a defensive tackle and Sam Schluter, I think is his name also a tackle. I don't know if I don't think either one of those guys are still in the league, uh, but they're making $3,334 next year. Uh, in 2023 as a salary from the 49ers. So congrats to those guys. Just a nice little $3,334 paycheck from the 49ers as a as a way for uh, as a way for dead cap. We'll see. Uh, there are some other funny names that I'm going to bring up here in just a little bit just because the and the amount, I guess, is not funny names. The amount is more funnier than the names itself. Um, but just a cheeky little $3,334 paycheck out of the, you know, out of the millions that they're giving out. It just seems like a, such a small amount of money based on what else they're giving out across the uh, across this uh, across the league and across both the, the 49ers team. Uh, all right, moving on here. So 49ers are done. They're done. Uh, an unfortunate breakdown of injuries at the very end of the season. They got throttled uh, and, you know, we got robbed of a very good game. I think I think this would have been one of the it probably wouldn't have been as good as that 49 or that uh, that Chiefs Bengals game, but this one was still as interesting and intriguing in terms of the matchups. Um, but we got robbed of it, unfortunately, because of injuries. That was sad to see. Um, but I would say the late night game made up for it. I, I would say that uh, the Chiefs and the Bengals they played. Obviously, uh, the Chiefs are moving on to their third Super Bowl in what was it five years? Third Super Bowl in five years, if I remember correctly. And boy, oh boy, we thought the Bills and the Chiefs were the rivalry. This game, this team, these two teams feel like the rivalry. They feel like the primo rivalry in football right now. This team, these two 
teams do not like each other. And uh, these two, uh, these two cities don't like each other. I don't know if that's fair, but the mayor was out. The mayor of Cincinnati was out calling the, uh, the, the chiefs out calling the stadium Burrowhead. I mean, that was ballsy. Didn't see that coming. And then afterwards, uh, Travis Kelsey's calling out the mayor of Cincinnati, telling him to know his place, which, you know what? Fair enough. I, I agree. Uh, mayor, chill out, dude. Why can't you just be normal? Just be a normal politician. Just chill out, dude. You don't need to be calling out a football player or a football team or whatever in Kansas City. Just chill out. We don't need that. The players will do that part of it. You know, mayor doesn't need to chime in. All right, go like fix some streets or something or sign some sign some legislation to fix some streets. That's just unnecessary. It's kind of ridiculous. It kind of looks stupid. Um, Frank Clark was talking. It was just, it was, it's a whole thing. And I enjoy it because these games are always good, man. These two teams play each other better than uh, pretty much any other team. In terms of matchups, these two teams play each other basically than any other two matchups in the league right now. These teams are always fun to watch. Uh, I think the last two have been, or the last three or four times that they've met up, it's been decided by three points uh, each time. These two teams are just fun to watch. They're they're equally as good. Uh, And uh, this year, this time, Kansas City got the better of the Bengals, 23-20. They're heading back to the Super Bowl. And uh, a couple key things. Offensive line for the Bengals, woof, woof. They they were falling apart at the absolute worst time. Uh, they were getting picked apart by Frank Clark and the Chiefs defensive line. They could not stop a, raw, a random gust of wind uh, during this game. The right side of their defensive line was a mess. Both their right tackle and right guard were responsible of the responsible for the five sacks on Joe Burrow that they had all night. Max Sharping. Uh, the right guard and Hakeem Adenji had two very rough games. They gave up 23 total pressures. The offensive line as a whole gave up 23 total pressures, 11 hurries and seven hits. And then those two guys on the right side gave up five total sacks. Frank Clark, or excuse me, not Frank Clark, Chris Jones, not Frank Clark. I'm mixing up my, my Kansas city defensive lineman. Uh, Chris Jones had a fantastic game. He was wreaking absolute havoc on the defensive line. That defensive line played very good for the chiefs all game long, but Frank Clark, or I just did it again. Chris Jones, Chris Jones, Chris Jones was having an incredible day. He was moving all over the place. He was playing left end, right end. He was lining up in different positions and he was dominating. He had 10 total pressures. He had two sacks, three hurries as well. He had a fantastic game rushing the passer and uh, it showed. I mean, the, Joe Burrow looked like he was a little bit flustered at times, which is hard to do against, uh, I would say, against <laughs> against Joe Burrow. That is not something that you normally see from Joe Burrow. He's not somebody that easily gets flustered and there were times where it looked like he had an extra second to try to find somebody to get the ball to and he was just uh, essentially going down going down himself just because he felt like he didn't have any time in the pocket and it was working I mean the Chiefs they were the defense uh, maybe not outplay the offense but uh, at least played to the same level as the offense I would say in this game they were fantastic and we're going to talk about I mean the people all over the place are going to talk about uh, you know, the calls against the, the Bengals and stuff like, look, I get it. All right. Sure. You're angry. It's rigged. Whatever. I mean, you're going to say that all you want. You can say that all you want, but you got beat. I mean, you got beat because one of your guys made a dumb decision at the end of the game as well. Uh, there were plenty of other opportunities that could have gone down and scored the Bengals and uh, just didn't happen. You know, I, I hate the rigged argument. I hate it. There's nothing more uh, annoying out of a fan base than blaming the referees for a loss that you had. It's so bad for most of the time. It's not, I mean, the referees can make bad calls, but it's not entirely, it's not completely all encompassing that. That's the reason that you lost the football game. And it's the same reason here. The reason you lost the football game is because your quarterback got sacked five times. Your offensive line couldn't stop a rogue gust of wind during this game. So let's like chill out. 
let's let's chill out. They were throwing the ball up to uh, you're still finding the ball. You're still throwing the ball up to Jamar Chase and T Higgins. Tyler Boyd went out with injury. That was a huge loss. You could blame that as well. But let's let's chill out, okay? The referees aren't directly. I mean, there were times where they were making maybe bad calls or something like you know bad penalty calls. Sure, whatever. Whatever you could say that, but the one that ended the game was not a bad call. That was the correct call. Okay, that was your that was your guys' that was your player's fault. Granted, feel bad for him. I feel really bad for him. It was tough to watch that scene, uh, but I mean, it was his fault. He knows that. Of course, I mean, I feel bad for him, but of course, he knows that as well. I mean, he's not not dumb. This is the reason he's crying on the sideline because he felt bad because he knew that was his fault and it was his fault. And you know, it's not the referee's fault. We're gonna tie there. I've seen so much Twitter discourse. Over the last few, uh, basically since the game ended, that the game was rigged and whatever. I mean, it's so dumb. So dumb. I, I hate, I hate the argument. It happens in every sport, too. I mean, go to umpires, to NBA referees, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, not rigged, by the way. They had one bad apple in in, uh, in the guy, I can't even remember his name, the guy that was betting against uh, sporting events. And after that, it was basically all clear, hopefully. I mean, you'd imagine. But, I mean, it's not causing so much of a discourse in football that it's literally changing the game i don't think uh, and not in this one either because the game was ended on a bad play it was on it was ended on a, a flag yes but the correct call as well so uh, the discourse around it has been so annoying just it's just peak you know peak fandom when you can you'll find every single angle of a penalty call or anything like that to make the argument that the game is rigged or something like that but you won't go and look at the fact that tyler boyd went down who was looking uh looking all intents and purposes looking to have a massive game uh he goes down with injury he's out for the rest of the game a huge loss for them uh there are plenty of other times where you're pass rushing your uh your your uh offensive line can't block anybody there he's uh, joe burrow's getting pressured feels like every time he drops back they're not going to go into the film on that but god forbid a referee misses a call or something like that which they miss every single game it's not just this one they miss it every single game and i'm not necessarily on the referee side they need to be better and they absolutely need to better be better i am not not you know not uh not saying that they don't need to be in any other way. I'm not I'm not being on their side or anything like that. But it's not the entire reason you lost the game, okay? The game's not rigged. You lost because you made a bad play at the end of the game, and for a flurry of other reasons, Patrick Mahomes played better than your defense, obviously, and Joe Burrow was sacked basically every other time he stepped back to, to um, or at least hurried uh, every time he stepped back to throw the ball. So let's chill out. Huh? Let's chill out with that narrative for a second, okay? I mean, look, I love Cincinnati. I I love the the the. I mean, Skyline Chili Chili's overrated. I'm sorry, Cincinnati. I apologize. That had to be put out there. But I mean, let's let's chill out, okay? I mean, they only had a point zero, a negative point zero zero three EPA per pass when they were having successful plays, anyways, on fifty two plays. So, like, let's chill. All right, it's not the entire reason you lost the game. Let's let's just relax. And you got plenty of time. You're gonna be all right, Cincinnati fans. You guys are. Bringing back a decent amount of people next year. It's not like you're in a dire situation. You have a ton of cap space uh, for this next season. I think you have the third most cap space of any of the teams in the NFL. So you can bring in whoever you want next year. You can do whatever you want essentially next year. You are losing people, but you have enough cap space to be re-signing. The people we're going to talk. We're going to look at their contracts right now. What they have bringing back their own line. They're returning every own line starter. Good or I mean, is that good or bad? I don't know. You'd be the judge of that. I think if it were me, I'd probably want to make some adjustments to the offensive line. But at the very least, you're bringing back your entire offensive line from last year. Uh, your defensive line, your entire defensive line is coming back. Max Sharping, by the way, the guard that gave up those sacks, he is an unrestricted free agent. But other than that, he is. everybody else is coming back on that offensive line. On the defensive line, literally everybody that played on the defensive line this year from 
the guys that had like four or five snaps or whatever. I mean, there's more than that, but you, you know what I'm saying? Every single one of them is coming back. All of them. Every single one of them. From the, from Jeffrey Gunter, who's making 889000 all the way to DJ Raider, who's making $15 million. They're all coming back. They're, they're all coming back. So you don't have to worry about your front seven. You're good there. Okay? Or I guess your front four. The seven, the other seven, the three linebackers, a little bit, a little bit of a more interesting situation. Okay, you're losing Jermaine Pratt. He played 900 snaps for you guys. He's probably he's your best covers linebacker uh, for sure. You're going to bring back Logan Wilson, Wyoming legend. Obviously, he's making three three million dollars this year. He's going to be your free agent in 2024. Uh, but you are losing Jermaine Pratt. That is a big loss. If you can bring him back, you can bring him back. You have the money to bring back uh, Jermaine Pratt. Those 900 snaps were the second most out of all the linebackers this season for the. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals first, obviously Logan Wilson, an 87.2 coverage grade from PFF. That's a very good season for Jermaine Pratt. He only gave up, uh, he didn't give up any touchdowns in coverage. He had two interceptions, four pass breakups as well. Only gave up a 75.5 quarterback rating, which is the best out of all the linebackers this season uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. So re-sign him. You're going to want to re-sign him or find somebody similar to him. Uh, You probably won't, but you should uh, sign him again, I would say. Uh, Secondary is the big one. You're losing pretty much all of your big starters in the secondary. In the secondary, if you are the uh, if you are the second if you are the Cincinnati Bengals, losing pretty much everybody. Your top three in terms of total snaps: Von Bell is a unrestricted free agent. Jesse Bates is an unrestricted free agent. Both your starting safeties, and then Eli Apple. Who Eli Apple talked a lot of talk. Obviously, he's huge for his talk. Not necessarily very good. Uh, now, not the not the best coverage uh, coverage cornerback in the world. Uh, he gave up the most touchdowns in terms of through the air, in terms of coverage, tied with the most uh, with Jesse Bates in uh, in uh, on, on the Cincinnati Bengals with four touchdowns he gave up. Uh, but Jesse Bates at least made up for it. He had four interceptions as well and four pass breakups. So. You know, Eli Apple, you could probably get away with leaving him, uh, leaving him behind. You could probably find somebody else on the market that would be. As good or if not better, I, I would imagine if you're the Bengals, I think you can find somebody on the free market, uh, on, on the open market that would match his efficiency as a cornerback. He only had a 55.7 defensive grade and a 55.0 coverage grade from PFF. And like I said, gave up the most touchdowns in coverage, according to PFF, uh, out of all the Cincinnati Bengals. So you could probably get rid, you could probably live with uh, with seeing him go, I would imagine, see him go out the door. Uh, but Von Bell, Jesse Bates, those are two guys I think you'd want to bring back if you're the Bengals. 1,223 snaps from Von Bell, 1,213 snaps from Jesse Bates. You don't want to leave both your safeties, have them walk out the door because you're going to have to refresh with the two new guys that you bring in or the guys that you bring up, essentially. And the next and the next guy's in line uh, for those roles. Though Both those guys played basically every single game this season. Uh, the next on the list was Daxton Hill, who played 150 snaps, 18 games in the season, but only 150 snaps total. So... You're going to have to at least bring one of those guys back, I would imagine, if you are the Cincinnati Bengals. And those are the two. Uh, that's the big spot for the Bengals. That they're going to be missing out on people. The secondary is taking a big hit uh, this season, this offseason. We'll see who they bring back. I don't think it's going to be Eli Apple. Uh, I think Eli Apple is somebody that you can see walk. I would not be surprised to see walk because you can spend a little bit of money. If you're not spending money on the offensive line, which they absolutely should, obviously, uh, but if they're not going to spend the money on the offensive line, you can find at least a top cover guy in the corner, in the corner position that's better, in my opinion, than Eli Apple. You're going to have James Bradbury from Philadelphia, who's going to be a free agent. Uh, You're going to have Jamal Dean from Tampa Bay, who's going to be a free agent. Rakia Sin from the Chargers, if I remember correctly. Rakia Sin was on the... He was on the Raiders, excuse me, Rakia Sin from the Raiders is going to be a free agent as well. 
So a couple guys in free agency you can go after at the quarterback position that I think will be an upgrade from Eli Apple. And they have the cap space, $44 million free in cap space. So, I mean, that's a move that I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming we'll see them make, the Bengals make. They're, i got to imagine they're bringing back either Jesse Bates or Von Bell, one of the two uh, safeties, if not both. But Jesse Bates, uh, probably the one that would be better off coming back. Uh, either one, though, I would imagine one of those guys is coming back. Eli Apple, I would I would not be surprised to see Walk, obviously. I wouldn't be surprised to see him gone, and then they try to find somebody in free agency uh, that way. And uh, we'll see what they do. But they got to upgrade offensive line, in my opinion, obviously, just from seeing that game. Uh, it was a problem that they had in the Super Bowl last year against the Rams, where where uh, Aaron Donald and company basically wreaked havoc. Von Bell or uh, Von Miller, excuse me, basically uh, wreaked havoc against that offensive line last year, and they're going to have to upgrade it at some point. And I think they probably look to do it this season because they got the cap space to try and do it at least upgrade one spot on that offensive uh, offensive line, probably the right side, I would imagine. So we'll see what the Bengals do. Um, looking at the dead payroll here, here's your here's your here's your amounts and names here. Allen, Allen George and Jack Sorensen, cornerback and wide receiver, they're going to be getting paychecks from the, I don't know how this is, I don't know if they get paychecks or whatever, it's just dead cap, it's just dead cap for the, uh, so I'd imagine they're paying these guys this amount of money, but this is, here it is, it's it's good stuff, dead cap, Allen George, Jack Sorensen, $667, how about that, that's basically a, a decent tax return for somebody that's working and not making a whole lot of money, $667, for both of those guys in dead cap from the Cincinnati Bengals. Imagine just waking up one day, getting a $667 check from the Cincinnati Bengals football organization. Congratulations to those guys. $667 from the Cincinnati Bengals. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, all right, let's move on here. We're going to talk a little bit about, speaking of the cap, we're going to talk a little bit about the cap. And one team in particular, because it is very interesting uh, uh, what their what, what their plan is, what this team in particular, what their plan is. Uh, the Chicago Bears. So uh, they currently have 49 guys signed to their roster, which is, uh, you know, not necessarily the lower end, but it's not, you know, the highest either. It's right right around the middle, I guess is what I would say. You know, uh, Kansas City is 35 guys signed to put it into perspective, essentially, and they have 49. So uh, basically right in the middle, maybe on the lower side, I guess is what you'd say. Um, but here's here's the big thing. They're going to have almost $100 million in free cap space this upcoming season. $100 million, a truly absurd number. Uh, they're going to basically be able to be in every single conversation for whoever they want to get. They're going to have Justin Fields obviously locked up for the next, the very least, the next three seasons probably. They have a club option in 2025, but 2023, 2024, he's signed. Obviously, they have a club option in 2025, which if all goes well, obviously, they'll They'll extend them or franchise tag him or what have you. And then in 2026, he's an unrestricted free agent. So they have him. They're losing David Montgomery. That's a big loss for them at running back. But he is a little bit different than I think they want to, what they want to do with like Justin Fields. Not the quickest guy in the world. Khalil Herbert probably fits that a little bit better. Uh, so I'd imagine he's probably going to walk. Their wide receiver situations is, you know, not the greatest. They don't have the great, uh, the best wide receiver uh, wide receiving group in the world, I would say. I would say most money spent is Darnell Mooney, who's making about three million dollars, and then Chase Claypool, who's making about two point nine million dollars. They have Cole Komet, who's making three point seven million dollars at tight end. They have uh, their a uh, couple guards that are making quite a bit of money, and so on and so forth. So 
they're going to have a ton of money uh, available to spend. And I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. They're probably going to sign an offensive lineman or two. I would imagine try to help uh, Justin Fields. He was getting sacked like crazy last year. So I'd imagine he gets signed at some point or not, not he, uh, some offensive lineman gets signed for a decent amount of money at some point. Uh, and then uh, maybe wide receiver help. I would imagine for uh, the, for Justin Fields as well. Orlando Brown Jr., one of the best offensive tackles in the league, uh, is currently on the Chiefs. I would imagine they go after him as well, but they can kind of do whatever they want. And not to mention, I think what makes this most intriguing, they have $100 million basically in free cap space, and then they got the number one pick in the draft as well. So they could be trading for a player and a pick or what have you and sliding down the draft the draft boards uh, to try to get a, a better player, a better tackle, a better lineman or what have you. Um, and then you know, trade, trade back down the draft a little bit and get, you know, draft a wide receiver in Quentin Johnson from TCU or somebody like that. And uh, still come out with it, with a decent amount of money still available for them to spend. So the Chicago bears, they could very quickly have a team that is not a team that you want to really deal with in a very quick amount of time with the hundred million dollar cap space that they have. They have $35 million more than the next team. I think on that, on that list, on the cap list, uh, they are, in a very good situation with the number one pick as well. They're going to have a very positive quick turnaround. The next team on that list is the Atlanta Falcons in terms of total cap space available, and they have 56 million left available. So more than, more than 35, the Chicago bears have 98 million available, almost $42 million uh, separate the two teams. So, It'll be interesting to see what the Bears do. We could see a very quick turnaround from the Bears based on the fact that they have so much room to work with, uh, with their money, with the the draft picks that they got, and uh, with, I would imagine, how they feel about Justin Fields with their quarterback position essentially all all uh, squared away, they hope. If not, then they could be trading Justin Fields, possibly get that... Um, uh, you get Bryce Young at number one, CJ Stroud at number one, something like that, and then uh, move forward that way. But we'll see. It's... Chicago Bears are probably the most intriguing team this offseason just because of how quickly they could probably turn this thing around if they wanted to. If they make really the best decisions, that they, as good a decisions that they can uh, on the uh, on the free agency side. And then, you know, if they're if they're rookies can step up quite a bit uh, at the wide receiver position and in offensive line, if they go for offensive line or if they sign an offensive line and something like that, we can see the Bears at the, you know, if, if they're effective enough in the offseason, we could see them maybe pushing for a playoff spot if they if they use this money accordingly and effectively. So keep an eye out for the Bears. Keep an eye out for the Bears, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, that's going to wrap up that portion of the show, the NFL. Uh, it was a good weekend uh, for NFL. It was fun. I was very disappointed to see that the NFC Championship game was essentially a wash after Brock Purdy went down and then John, Josh Johnson went down. That was sad. That was uh, We got robbed of a really good game with those guys getting hurt. I thought that would have been a fun game to watch if both teams were at full health or at, you know, as good a health as you can be at this point in the year, especially in the most important position. So that was disappointing, um, but at least we got a very good game in the nightcap with the Bengals and the Chiefs. And then we get to the Super Bowl. Philadelphia Eagles versus the Kansas City Chiefs in two weeks from now. I guess a week and five days or what have you, give or take. Um, the first first Super Bowl with two black quarterbacks. Progress. It's good to see. Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, the first two black quarterbacks to start in an NFL, uh, in the Super Bowl in the NFL. So that's that's good to see. It was cool to see both those guys um, basically thrive in the situations that they were. And uh, basically the two lead front runners for 
MVP, I would say at this point, Patrick Mahomes is probably going to take it, but Jason, uh, or excuse me, Jalen Hurts was uh, was right there as well. So we'll see. We'll see who wins it, and uh, we'll talk more about the Super Bowl next week because you know it's still two weeks out. We got the Pro Bowl, and we're all definitely going to be watching that, right? I can see you all nodding your head. Absolutely. Uh, okay, really quickly, we were talking about referees earlier. I wanted to get to the. Uh, Big thing that happened in the NBA. So if you hadn't seen it, this was basically the big thing that happened. Uh, I can't remember. This is the 29th or what have you. The 28th. The 28th was Saturday. So it was either the 27th or the 28th. I can't remember which game it was uh, or which day it was this game was. But the Celtics were playing the Lakers. It was a big game. Big rivalry. This, this is always a big rivalry every year. Uh, the two most storied franchises in the NBA for sure. Uh, just in terms of the NBA history. Huge games for both teams. Big rivalry. Biggest rivalry in that sport, I would say. Uh, LeBron James goes in for a layup in the waning seconds of the game to try to get a buzzer beater against the Celtics and win a game on the road, steal one from the Celtics in Boston. Jason Tatum goes up to block it and just smacks the hell out of LeBron's left hand. Left hand, uh, LeBron's going up for left-handed layup. Jason Tatum goes up there to try to block it, quote unquote. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how much he was really trying to block it rather than just dissuade him from getting an easy layup essentially, but he smacks the ungodly, holy heck out of out of uh, LeBron James's left hand and it goes uncalled. It was a foul from uh from essentially every angle. I mean, it was a foul. Uh and no call. There's zero foul call. You can't review it in that situation either. The buzzer had sounded. The game was uh going into overtime. That would have been a buzzer beater for LeBron James, a legacy butter buzzer beater if you will against uh, arguably the best team in the East, the biggest rival, a huge rivalry game so on and so forth. That would have been a huge buzzer beater, a cool scene. But he is robbed. Gets absolutely slapped like crazy on that left arm. That would have been free throws, uh, at the very least free throws, uh, if not the buzzer beater and free throws or whatever. Um, And it didn't get called. They go into overtime and LeBron is freaking out. If you haven't seen the clip of this, I don't know how, if you're a sports fan, you hadn't seen the clip of this. I don't know how that's possible, but he was, he was throwing a tantrum. I mean, he, I mean, honestly, fair enough because he was right. I mean, he was uh, completely in the right. He got fouled like crazy, slapped like crazy on the arm. It was a foul in every sense of the word, but he was, I mean, he was freaking out. I mean, he was angry. Chandler Parsons came out, former NBA player Chandler Parsons came out and was like, my dog could have died and I wouldn't react the way that he reacted, which, you know, that's, I don't know if that's more of a self burn. That feels more like a self burn uh, on Chandler Parsons. I don't know. Like, why would you say that? You know, don't, why would you say my dog could die right in front of me and I wouldn't react the way LeBron James would react. That's a weird thing to say. You know, you care about dogs or do you not care about dogs? Like, what are you trying to say there? That's more of what I took from that Chandler Parsons quote. That was a weird thing to say. Uh, but LeBron James was freaking out and rightfully so because he got 100% fouled. He he got fouled. The life fouled out of him, essentially. And that's how it looked on the floor. He was doing somersaults and front flips and anger. Uh, not necessarily either of those, not necessarily front flips, front flips or anything like that. But he was, I mean, he was like roaming angry, you know, like, uh, you know when you get really angry and um, I guess shocked at the same time, so you have that uh, that weird reaction where you feel like you have to pace back and forth. You know, you you don't you don't stand still when you're angry. You feel like you have to move. That's what it was like. That, that's what it looked like from LeBron James. And uh, so he was angry. And then we got one of the greatest technical technical fouls in the history of NBA basketball. I would argue the greatest technical foul in the history of basketball. Period. Ever since it started back in the beautiful fields of Kansas. I would say that this is the greatest technical foul in the history of the game. Patrick Beverly, who I'm not a fan of. I'll never be a fan of Patrick Beverly. I am a stern believer that he ruined uh, the greatest chance that the Oklahoma City Thunder had at making an NBA, chi- uh, well, at winning an NBA championship. 
when he was with Houston uh, at the time. That's when they had a very good team as well with James Harden. Chandler Parsons on that team as well. Uh, they had a very good team, but he went in to try to, I mean, a timeout, an obvious timeout was being called. Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook was essentially walking to the bench with the dribbling the ball, getting ready to call a timeout. Patrick Beverly, total, total, total jerk, tries to go in and steal the ball, runs right into Russell Westbrook's knee, tears Russell Westbrook's MCL during a playoff game. This is during the playoffs. And uh, it essentially ends that run for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They lose in the next round against the Grizzlies, if I remember correctly. Uh, and that was that. That was the end of that uh, that run for the Thunder. And that was essentially the last good run that the Thunder had to win an NBA championship. After that, it was over. The the, the, the Rockets had essentially uh, eclipsed them, and the Warriors were starting to come up as well. That was basically the end of their chances. And so I'll always have a contentious spot for Patrick Beverly. We had a chance to win that title. It was ruined. Because of Patrick Beverly, because he ruined the knee of Russell Westbrook on a dirty play, and um, so I'll never, I'll never have a uh, a, a, a nice, uh, a happy spot for Patrick Beverly. But with that being said, the technical foul that he uh, was responsible for on Friday, Saturday, one of the two uh, the, in that game was awesome. It was so funny. Uh, so after that play was over, after LeBron James had been fouled. He was freaking out. LeBron James was freaking out on the court, all that and all that and stuff. Patrick Beverly, in all his infinite wisdom, went over to I don't even know who it was, but he he a team photographer, an AP photographer, something like that. He grabbed their camera, asked for their camera, was like, hey, can I take this for a second? Grabs the camera, walks over to the referee who missed the call with the camera in his hand, and tries to show the referee the picture, a picture of what had just happened. And the referee was like, I'm not having any of that. He's like, no, Patrick, no. And then he immediately calls a technical foul. So Patrick Beverly is out on the court with a camera trying to show this referee the foul that had just been missed with a a full-on photography camera from like AP or something like that. And he tries to show him the camera, gets immediately teed up. And walks back, gives him the old, the old, ah, whatever wave. The Patrick Beverly gives him, gives the referee the all whatever wave and walks back and gives the camera back. He was one of them, an all time technical foul. It was fantastic. It was so funny. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a moment for NBA referees. And then to make matters even worse, uh, it was a bad moment for NBA referees. They had a bad weekend. Uh, the NBA referees Twitter, Twitter page official at official NBA refs. Their real, their real Twitter handle. This is a real thing. Uh, they tweeted out, and we're gonna, the, the sad violin play, music is going to have to be playing over the over this right now because in your head, just play it in your head. This is what they had to tweet out. Like everyone else, referees make mistakes. We made one at the end of last night's game, and that is gut wrenching for us. This play will weigh heavily and cause sleepless nights as we strive to be the best referees we can be. Fantastic job, NBA Rose. Hey, good job. I'm glad you can admit your mistake. I don't know why I had to be so dramatic about it, uh, but sure. Uh, yes, you were incorrect. That's correct. You made a weird statement. That's a weird statement. It made it seem like somebody died. Uh, I don't know how many sleepless nights it's actually going to cause. I mean, I don't like let's chillax. Uh, yeah, I sure it is gut wrenching, uh, but I mean, let's relax a little bit. Okay. I get you're upset about it, but you know, you don't, I mean, you may be taking a little bit too far. This is, uh, some sad, uh, some sad violin type stuff. So yeah, it, it was a bad, uh, it was a bad week for, uh, it was a bad week for NBA referees NBA referee Twitter handle is getting clowned like crazy, obviously. And, uh, they'll, I mean, it's uh, again, I said it before on this, on this, on this program and I'll say it again. I would never, ever, 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 ever want to be a referee in any of these sports. You are never, ever shown any of your highlights, any of your good plays, because that is just seen as doing your job. 
any of your good calls or anything like that. That's just not how it works. But if you get a bad call, they will never forget it. If you miss a call, they will blast you on Twitter like you were the worst human being to ever grace planet Earth. That is how a lot of these people see it. So I would I tip my cap to those guys. I can't imagine the stress that they go through. Granted, they missed the call. Clearly, they know they missed the call on uh, on Friday night in that game uh, with the Lakers and the Celtics. Uh, but man, I would. Uh, woof, I I feel for those guys. I cannot imagine being put in a situation like that where you have to make calls like that, and then if you mess up, you will never never be allowed to forget it uh, in in that situation. So, yeah, that that was a. Uh, that was a moment, huh? That was a moment from last night. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get to that. Uh, and uh, I'm glad we were able to get that technical foul. There is nothing better. Basketball gives us those moments that are hard to find in really any other sport where you'll get those like those moments that are uh, like there's no other memeable sport, memeable moments better than what happened in basketball. Like that, that clip with LeBron, it gave us two like back to back. That moment with LeBron freaking out on the court and then Patrick Beverly showing the camera to the referee. Those are memes. Like you can just create they, the perfect template for you. Just make those memes and go nuts with them. It was it was a fantastic moment. What a moment for uh, for basketball in general and the NBA. And the NBA refs uh, need to be a little bit better, sure. But uh, but that was a good moment. That was fun. I mean, we'll look back on that. Maybe not the refs, obviously, because they the way they stated that, the way their statement came out made it seem like they killed somebody. But... I'm willing to look back on that with the caveat that we got one of the uh, one of the funnier moments in the uh, in the actual uh, of the whole night of the whole season, probably with Patrick uh, or with uh, yeah Patrick Beverly doing uh, doing what he did. It was hilarious. It was great. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we just got breaking news here on the podcast. I can't believe this is happening right now. This is awesome. Uh, breaking news, local news as well. Breaking local news. The Denver Broncos will be getting. This is according to sources at ESPN. Adam Schefter is reporting that the Broncos have reached a deal with the Saints to get Sean Payton as their next head football coach. According to Adam Schefter, the Saints will be receiving the Broncos 2023 first round pick and their 2024 second round pick for Sean Payton and the Saints 2024 third round pick, according to sources. So this clears the way for Sean Payton to sign with the Broncos to become the franchise's next head coach. Coach, I figured this was going to be their their move, but after the dust started settling, that they uh, that the Saints were asking a pretty big price in order to get uh, in order to get Sean Payton. I didn't think it was going to happen after a while, but here we are. The Broncos get their next head, head coach in Sean Payton, an offensive guru, a guy that was able to work with Drew Brees in New Orleans for a long time, led them to a Super Bowl victory. They get they get that guy, they get Sean Payton, and uh, a guy that I think should be able to thrive with who they have in Russell Wilson, somebody that should be able to get the best out of Russell Wilson. I would imagine similar qualities in terms of what they bring to the table in terms of Russell Wilson and uh, Drew Brees size. Uh, the deep ball on both of them is beautiful uh, in, in other areas as well. And I think Sean Payton is the right guy to go and get in order to get the most out of the quarterback in Russell Wilson. So in my opinion, a good signing for the Broncos. You are giving up a first-round pick, which, I mean, you already didn't have a great first-round pick to begin with uh, since you traded uh, the to the Dolphins. You traded Bradley Chubb for a first-round pick. So you have their pick. That's the pick they're sending to the Saints then, and uh, we'll see what they can bring with Sean Payton. I'm excited to see that. I think that offense should be a lot better under a guy like Sean Payton who has shown time and again uh, to be the guy that can thrive uh, under the right situation with the right people. And I think they have a decent enough team 
to be able to thrive with what they have uh, with Jerry Judy. Uh, Cortland Sutton should be able to be more prominent. If Javante Williams comes back halfway through the season or what have you, he should be able to have a decent effect on that team as well. And then if they're able to bring back uh, like Dalton Risner as their guard for the Broncos, that would be a good signing, a, a good re-signing to bring back. Uh, I think they could be very good. And of course their defense is also very stout, very solid. Maybe make a couple upgrades there as well. And all of a sudden if Sean Payton comes back and is the guy that uh, we all expect them to be, they could be Super Bowl contenders once again. So hope is there Broncos fans. Hope is, is there. They have Sean Payton. They have the right guy for Sean Payton, a similar build to Drew Brees. I think they have a shot to to fix their wrongs that they had this past year under Nathaniel Hackett for the most part. And uh, who knows? Maybe maybe they'll move forward as a possible favorite in the Super Bowl uh, for to at least make a playoff run, to make the playoffs. They have a very tough division, obviously, uh, but we'll see. We'll see what they can do. I think they're better. Then the Raiders, if the Raiders don't get Tom Brady, can you imagine? I just thought of this. Can you imagine if the Raiders end up getting Tom Brady? That that might be the best division in the history of the game in terms of quarterback. You're going to have Russell Wilson be the fourth best quarterback in that division. If they got Tom Brady, it would be Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson. He would be the fourth best quarterback in that division. That would be wild. Now I'm thinking about it now. Why would Tom Brady go to the Raiders? I got to cash out my bet. I got to cash out. Okay. Uh, that's the breaking news. So breaking news. There's your breaking news update. Broncos get Sean Payton after trade away a 2023 first rounder and a 2024 second rounder in order to get Sean Payton and a 2024 for a second rounder back from the Saints. So congrats to the Broncos. A good pickup. We'll see what they can do with them. Uh, we're going to move on here. D'Amico Ryans, also the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, also just signed with the uh, the Houston Texans. He is now their head coach as well. He signed a six-year contract with the Texans to become their next their sixth full-time head coach. Uh, the Texans would become the first team in NFL history to hire three straight black coaches, so props to the Texans for that. Uh, D'Amico Ryans going to the Texans, it looks like. One of the best defensive coordinators. That's the other problem with the 49ers that they might have. They're going to have to refill their depth, obviously. We talked about that a little bit earlier. But are you going to be able to find a, def- a defensive coordinator that can bring out as much as the, I mean, the last few defensive coordinators for the 49ers have been able to bring out uh, from their players? So we'll see. What they do for it, that's a great hire, in my opinion. If you're the Texans, a great hire for the fan base, a great hire for the franchise. D'Amico Ryans It's a guy with a ton of energy, and he looks like he's having a blast, and he's a great coach, a great defensive coordinator at the very least, and a great defensive coach uh, that they'll bring, be bringing forward for the Texans, a guy that can really shift the culture, I think, uh, with the Texans, and um, maybe turn that ship around a little bit. Turn it around. They got devastated by the Deshaun Watson news. Uh, I mean, obviously the lowest of the lowest of first world problems in that, in that entire scenario. But uh, they had a bad situation with Deshaun Watson end up kind of imploding in their face. And uh, we'll see if they can maybe move up in the draft at the very least, get that one pick from the two pick. I mean, they're sitting at the two picks, so they're going to have a a good situation regardless. I don't see a scenario in which uh, Chicago goes and gets uh, a quarterback unless they're trading Justin Fields, which that might happen too. Who knows? Um, But if not, they have, you know, any option they want to choose from other than, you know, Jalen Carter, who would, I would who would be a good pick for the Bears. But uh, if Bryce Young is still there, then you can start with Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud would still be there. You know, you one of the two. So they're going to be able to find at least the hope for their franchise quarterback with one of those first two picks in the draft. And D'Amico Ryans um, as the new head coaching candidate, the six year contract. Good signing for them. A good, uh, a good, a good, uh, a good head coach, a good defensive head coach that should be able to, uh, I think, put them into the next generation for uh, Texans fans. So 
We'll see what happens there. But those were the breaking news. Just happened while I was recording. It's never happened to me before. I had to do breaking news live on the podcast. So congrats to the Broncos. Congrats to the Texans. You got your new head coaches. Uh, the Broncos were looking a little glim. They were looking a little grim. D'Amico Ryan's just turned down the head coaching offer from the Broncos. He said, no, nah, I don't want to go there. I mean, that was that was pretty grim. Now looking back on that, that was probably, I mean, he says he turned it down, but it must have been he knew that they were looking like that that deal was almost done with Sean Payton. They, he had to have known that once he came out of that meeting. So, uh, yeah, uh, whatever. And ended up, Broncos ended up probably getting the guy that they most wanted anyways. And then um, Texans get a, a very good head coach, uh, at the very least a very good coordinator in uh, D'Amico Ryans and a guy that should be very good for them. Okay, let's move on. That's the breaking news segment that we don't often get in this podcast. And uh, let's move on here. I want to close with one... Uh, one fantastic moment, one fantastic moment from this past weekend. We had a, a truly just a truly, a truly heinous situation in golf this past week, a disgusting situation in golf this weekend. I was, I was taken up back at the situation I saw from golf this weekend. So Roy, Roy McElroy, one of the best golfers in the world, Patrick Reed, another really good golfer, one of the better ones in the, in the world as well. They got drama, ladies and gentlemen. They got drama. They got drama going on. They were at the uh, the Dubai, what, what was the name of it? The Dubai Desert Classic this past weekend playing in that. And uh, Roy McIlroy, Patrick Reed, they finished one and two. Roy McIlroy ended up winning. But the big thing that happened was beforehand. Before a, a ball had even been hit off the tee box, Patrick Reed, they were both on the driving range. Patrick Reed goes up to Roy McIlroy and uh, tries to, uh, he's with like another group of people. And Roy McIlroy is like, you know, sizing up a shot he wants to take or whatever. Uh, and he goes up to try to, you know, greet, hey, say hello, that sort of thing, whatever. And Roy McIlroy just ignores him, just straight ignores him. Doesn't even look at the guy. Doesn't even look at the guy. Doesn't even look at Patrick Reed. And Patrick Reed, in anger, throws a T at him. Can you believe that? A T. You know, the little things that you tee up your ball with? One of those. He throws a T at him. A truly disgusting act from Patrick Reed. I hope he's banned for life from the PGA from Live. I don't remember which one who's, I don't know which one he's with. He's probably with Live. I'm not sure. Uh, but, and then afterwards, Reed, this was after the after that happened. They went to the presser. It was called T-Gate, by the way, which is very funny. Uh, they went to the presser. Patrick Reed said, quote, if you're going to act like an immature little child, you might as well be treated like one. That's what Reed said afterwards. And uh, discussing the incident last week, McElroy said that he had, quote, not felt the need to acknowledge Reed after being issued with a subpoena by the Americans lawyers on Christmas Eve. So, <laughs> so Roy McElroy got subpoenaed on Christmas Eve by the, uh, by Patrick Reed lawyers on Christmas Eve and uh, Reed's attorney. The reason McElroy is getting subpoenaed was he has an antitrust trade regulation lawsuit against the PGA tour. And uh, McElroy was being subpoenaed for that. And then Patrick Reed, uh, he also, I mean, I, 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 as well as the subpoena for Rory McIlroy, he's also got a, uh, a uh, he's a live golfer. I just read that. He had a uh, defamation lawsuit filed against the Golf Channel and commentator Brandel Chambly, claiming that defamatory remarks had been made on behalf of the PGA Tour and DP World Tour regarding his involvement in the Saudi-backed series. So, so Patrick Reed is out here throwing lawsuits left and right like they're going out of style. And uh, as well as tease at Roy McElroy, a truly a big uh, a big golf 
a big golf fight that we got going on. This is as much of a golf fight as you can imagine. A tee being thrown at one another is probably the most we're going to get out of this. If then, if not, it's going to be, you know, my dad's going to sue you type energy. That's kind of what it's going to be like uh, for the rest of this time. Roy McIlroy's not throwing hands with Patrick Reed and vice versa. Patrick Reed's not throwing hands. He's going to do everything through his lawyer. That's what he does. That's what that's what they do in the golf game. That's You can't play golf if you don't know at least one lawyer. Okay? That's how the game works. That's It's in the rule book. Page 48, section C3 states, if you do not know a lawyer, you cannot tee up for your first round. I'm making that up, but it's fair enough to think that that's a possible rule that could be in there. You have to know a lawyer in order to play golf. Just just not to mention, by the way, after we're in, in during this whole spiel, Roy McIlroy was obviously questioned, and he said, quote, I'm living in reality. I don't know where he, Reed, is living uh, ahead of the Dubai tournament. He said that, and then, quote, I didn't see a tee coming in my direction at all, but apparently that's what happened. And if roles were reversed and I'd have thrown a tee at him, I'd be expecting him to file a lawsuit. That's a good, that's good banter from McElroy. That's, that's class A, that's class A banter there from, from uh, Roy McElroy. So uh, love not lost in the golf world. Uh, who would have thought golf would stir up so much controversy with just a little bit of a tee, if you will, just a little tee could throw in and create so much controversy. God, I mean, golf, golf can't get out of its own way. You know, like that's like, if that's the biggest thing we're going to get out of golf in terms of controversy, then they've got, they got bigger problems on their hand. They got, they got some other things they need to figure out. Um, but you know, whatever it's the Dubai, the Dubai, whatever the hell it was called. The Dubai classic Dubai desert classic was the, uh, was the big, uh, the big tournament of the weekend. And that's probably why this was the most intriguing thing that came out of golf this weekend. By the way, I like golf. I play golf. I, I'm a, I'm a fun, I'm a golf guy. I enjoy playing golf. I don't necessarily like watching it. I'll watch the four majors like every other normal human being on planet earth. Uh, but I won't watch the hot or whatever the, the hero Dubai desert classic on the same weekend as the, as the NFC and AFC championships in football. That's just, you know, don't care that I don't care that much. Uh, and you know, the golf, this is what they're going to have to bring to the table if they want to, uh, not to mention live really kind of, I mean, Rory McIlroy has a point when he says, uh, he said, quote, that, uh, live golf was ripping apart the men's professional golf game. And he's not entirely wrong. I would say they don't uh, live golf. They basically bought every big player in the PGA. They're still going to be playing in the major PGA tournaments, but they basically bought every single PGA player. Live golf is not necessarily, I mean, they've gotten more money than God itself because it's run by the Saudis, obviously. And they have, they could basically create heaven if they wanted to. Uh, and the, and you know, the only thing that's really done, I mean, the live format has not stuck very well at all for a lot of people, I would imagine. And the only thing it's really done has really ripped apart the men's game because it's, I mean, you're looking at for these PGA tournaments if you're an avid golf fan and you're not seeing really the best players play in those PGA tournaments unless it's the majors. So you're just creating a bigger situation and more people are just looking for the major tournaments where all the good best golfers are playing in them than these random desert Dubai desert tournaments where it's only essentially Roy McIlroy and Patrick Reed playing for one, two. And then, you know, it, that's essentially what it is at this point. And Liv has kind of created the situation. Liv, by the way, does not get, it's not getting enough exposure for uh, just, it's now, it's nowhere. If you told me where you could watch Liv golf, like if I asked you go and find Liv golf, go find a Liv golf tournament. I don't know if a lot of people would be able to go and do that. Where is it being shown? And I think they just signed a deal with like the CW to be broadcast on their channel uh, for all of their tournament, which tournaments, which it's like, 
I mean, if you're a major golf fan, I guess you're going you're gonna watch that. If you're gonna want to watch Dustin Johnson and you know the list goes on and on, Phil Mickelson and and so on, uh, then sure, uh, then you'd go watch CW for Live Golf. But uh, you know, I have no desire to watch any of those tournaments at this point other than, you know, the Masters, and it's the last round of the Masters, mind you, the last round of the Masters, Open Championship, the U.S. Open, and so on and so forth. So golf is just so far up its own, you know, up its own butt, if you will, uh, that this was just kind of the, this was kind of just peak. This was just peak golf, right? The T-gate on NFC Championship, AFC Championship weekend was the biggest thing we got out of golf. I didn't even realize golf was going on, to be honest with you. No idea. Had literally no idea until this happened. And uh, then I knew about that there was at least a tournament going on. So there you go. That's golf for you. That's the golf news. That's the only golf news other than whoever wins the Masters in April or whatever. That's that, That's the most golf news you're getting out of me for the next, uh, whatever, next month and a half or next month or two. I just thought that was such a, such a self, uh, I guess, a not self-aware story from the golf world, from Patrick Reed as well. Uh, that we got uh, this weekend, and it was uh, it was it was funny to watch. It was funny to watch unfold. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to wrap up the show. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. We got breaking news uh, this this podcast. I'm so happy we were able to get that in. I'm happy I recorded this, and I did not finish the show before before the breaking news broke. So. I'm glad that happened during the... I'm hoping I broke that for some of you that are listening to this now. Uh, and if not, thanks for listening anyways. Thanks for listening all the the salary cap talk, all the NFC, AFC championship talk, and on and on and on. We're going to come back next week. We're going to talk Pro Bowl, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk all about the Pro Bowl. Actually, probably not really, but we'll see. There's probably there's about something to happen. That's There's bound for something to happen next week. So we'll be back next week. Same place, same time. Uh, I've been the host, James Timberlake. This has been the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast really quickly. Remind you, fine, you can listen to this anywhere you get your podcast. Please remember to leave a rating if you don't mind. Uh, follow the podcast on any of those podcasting platforms, Spotify, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you're listening to them. Please remember to give us a follow, give us a rating, five stars if you don't mind, and uh, we'd appreciate that. Thank you very much for tuning in. I have been your host, James Timberlake. <laughs>